Hey everybody, welcome to Stuff Said, with me, your host, Greg Shegel, a show where I talk to people in the worlds of comics, cartooning, and beyond. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, hearing the stuff we have to say. On today's show, I'm talking to Jamal Eigel. Jamal Eigel, for those who might not know, is a penciler who's been working professionally in comics for now, oh, I don't know, a long time, over 15 years, might be, something like that. You'd think I know. I interviewed the guy. Uh, I first met Jamal officially at Megacon in 2010. He was sitting by myself and Chris Jerusso. And the one thing I could tell you about that experience was Jamal has a good sense of humor because I know for myself, I was doing a lot less working at that con and a lot more joking around and being a clown. This primarily manifesting itself by me walking up to Jamal as he would be diligently drawing Firestorm or Supergirl. And I would walk up to him and and ask, as many artists have been asked, as we doodle on airplanes or wherever we might be, Uh, are, are you an artist or something? Are you some kind of artist or something? And I think I must have done that five, six times over the, maybe in a day. And he, I think found us entertaining only because when I saw him again over a year later thereabouts at free comic book day we had both been invited to Acme Comics in Greensboro North Carolina that's Eisner award nominated Acme Comics in Greensboro North Carolina he did not make a point to avoid me or steer clear thinking oh boy that guy's annoying in fact over the course of that weekend just talking to him, I, I learned or got a sense of just how much he loved comics. He liked talking, he liked talking about comics. And at that point, I had been percolating and formulating this show. And I thought, this is a guy I want to get on on Stuff Said. This is somebody who I think I can talk to. And I was not wrong. Jamal is, as you're about to find out when I start the recording of our conversation, really open. Um... There's an openness to him when you talk to him where you think, I can ask this guy anything. And, you know, to a certain degree, I did. To another degree, uh, I'm sure there are other things I could have asked or things I may have skipped over in the course of the conversation. But, you know, you can't ask every question. There's only so much time in an hour. And that's about what we had. He had to actually... uh, he had what they call in the radio business a hard out. He had, he had somewhere he had to be. So I was watching the clock, and eventually we we had to get to an end point, and I tried to cover as much ground as I could. But I can tell you this. We probably could have talked for a considerably longer time. I think both of us are with a couple of chatty Cathy's. Um, and speaking of chatty Cathy's, I've been going on for quite a while, so I'm going to move us along uh, I'm not sure if the iTunes magic worked and there's going to be a little explicit label on this show. Uh, the reason being, there's a couple of instances where there's some language. Nothing that's going to make your ears bleed. Nothing nothing lascivious. Just, um, you know, maybe it's rated PG. Three or four curse words. If that is something that easily offends you, I apologize. But... I, you know, these things happen. 
So, enough out of me. For now, here's Jamal Igle. Start at the beginning from where I see the beginning. Okay. Because I know you have a history before this point. But my first exposure to you was in June of 1999. Ooh, okay. I don't think I've told you this story. Okay. I was an assistant editor at Marvel Comics. Okay. And I was at Heroes Con that year. Right. And I was running around, hanging out with the Artemis Studios guys a lot. Right. But I was also working the booth, and I would do portfolio review. Right, right. And there was one point where I got back to the table, and there was a sample in the bin okay. of Nightwing pages. <laughs> I know exactly which pages you're talking about. And they were great. I was like, these are really – this is guy <laughs> – this guy's ready for work, right? So I brought those pages back with me to New York, mm-hmm. and down the hall, they needed an artist for the New Warriors – Ah, uh, so it was you. And I brought those pages over, and I said, this guy's good. And uh, as far as I understand, right. that brought you back into comics. Yes. Yeah. At the time, I was working at Sony Animation. I was doing storyboards. And what was I working on at that point? I think I was pro- I was off of uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, I did a boarded uh, two episodes of uh, Max Steel MX-1. Okay. It was a toy tie-in CGI commercial thing. And um, I, I get this call from uh, my then agent, Dave Ulbrick, and he goes, I just got a call from Marvel. Now, I hadn't gotten, like, any comics work in, or at least from, like, Marvel or DC in a while. And I was doing uh, some stuff for Alex Simmons on Blackjack at night after I got home from, uh, from Sony. And Dave calls me up and it's like, well, there's, there, you know, I got a call from Marvel, so you should call Bobby Chase. So I call Bobby and I say, hey, how's it going? I'd never met Bobby before. Didn't right. know who she was like, hey, how's it going? And she goes, well, I'm still looking for a penciler for New Warriors. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, she pitched it to me. And I didn't immediately say yes because I was just getting into what i thought was going to be my long and fruitful career doing storyboard animation and um i actually had to think about it for a couple of days and but it means i made the mistake of talking to a few of the board guys at sony now a lot of the guys at the time who were doing storyboards were ex-comic book guys who were looking for for whatever way to get back in, into the business so suddenly, you know, I'm trying to get advice. You know, I'm the young guy. I'm trying to get advice. You know, what should I do? Should I stay in, at Sony? Should I, you know, go back and do the Marvel stuff? And I call Bobby back, and she's like, you know, I keep getting calls from California from all these guys. <laughs> and was like, did you tell anybody that we approved? I was like, well, I I did talk to a couple of people. I was like, don't do that. <laughs> oh wow. Well, not not in not in a bad yeah, like yeah. you shouldn't do that, but you know I, it was you know it started this sort of deluge of phone calls from guys who hadn't worked in the business for a while who were trying to find a, a yeah. way back in. But you know I ended up doing New Wars. That's you know when I first started working with Jay. Yes. And the funny thing about it is Jay and I were always on opposite coasts. 
like when I was in LA, right, he was in working, Brooklyn. He was in Brooklyn, and then when I moved back to New York, he moved to Los Angeles. So, which was the the funny thing. But Jay and I ended up working together for years, yeah, doing doing stuff. So that's how that relationship started. So New Warriors was it was rough. It was rough because I hadn't done monthly comics. I can imagine. And to get thrown into the the deep end, having to produce five pages, five six pages a week when you're rusty. Like yeah. really, there's like a ton of ring rust on me, you know, to, to use a wrestling term. But, you know, we got, we did that. We, the book ended up getting canceled as I was penciling my first issue. Of course. <laughs> but I kept hearing all these really great things about the pages that were coming and everybody was like, super yeah. like, yeah, no, this stuff looks great. Too bad the book's getting canceled. Yeah, so yeah. we did that. And then we ended up doing, um, Iron Fist and Wolverine, right. which was originally supposed to be an Iron Fist miniseries. And then somebody at upper management said, you know, Iron Fist doesn't sell. Let, let's throw uh, let's throw Wolverine in it because Wolverine sells everything. That's that's the late 90s. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> late 90s, early 2000s, for sure. Absolutely. Wolverine. I mean, I remember there was a there was a project that that office right. got uh, approved. It was uh, Logan and Ben Grimm. Right. Which from the stamp, but just the fact that it's Wolverine. He didn't have claws. He was just Logan. Right. He got approved and they... Well, they wasn't that the one where it was like before the yeah. accident and like Ben was a U.S. Air Force yeah. officer and it yeah, was yeah, sort it was of a... like this event. I love those... Con- I love... There was a, uh, a Reed Richards miniseries was. like that that uh, Duncan Fregredo drew that yes. I loved as well. That yeah, was yeah. Very much in the same vein. I talked to Smitty who was the assistant yeah. in that office and we would talk all the time and I know, speaking of storyboard guys, they tried to get uh, Rodolfo DiMaggio on one of those <laughs> and he had he had stopped doing comics yeah. he was doing storyboards and his page rates were too high and he was lost to us oh yeah no he but you know that was definitely hollywood's game because he has made yeah he's amazing uh, yes he's he he was amazing then he's still yeah. amazing i've seen some i go to his recently. site every now and again yeah <laughs> and look at what he's doing he's like god this guy's so good he's so good <laughs> No, that was, those were those are some fun miniseries they were putting yeah. out. I yeah. actually pitched to write the uh, the Susan Storm Johnny Storm one. Oh wow! But uh, I was young and I wasn't. It wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't gonna happen. Like my going out to to Sony and and working there in the first place was sort of on the the tail end of like a really like depressing period for me as far as like working in comics because I had been sort of kicking around the industry for seven years at that point yeah so let's let's do a quick All condensation because right. people can read this online and i don't want right, to rehash right, right. old stories but you were you went to a arts high school yes i went and to got a, an internship at dc comics right and that essentially kick-started your career in right, comics right right uh and then that sort of lasted until what at what point did you go to sony like when did that sort of fizzle if we can call it a fizzle um well okay so i finished my internship at dc that's 1990 Go to college, drop out. That's ninety two. Move to Canada, uh, come back after about six months of you know smoking pot and living in Canada. So I, I come back to New York and I'm living in a two bedroom apartment with five other guys really? over on the Lower East Side. Why wouldn't right. you? Of course, of course. You know, uh, but it was a nice apartment. You know, it was a you know six floor balcony overlooking the Lower East Side on the Avenue A. You know, That's two bars in walking distance. You know, All right. one you know one of them I ended up bouncing at. <laughs> so, but that was the point when I sort of decided that I was going to you know really make a go at you know doing comics full time. 
So I, you know, put some samples together, put a portfolio together. I went to, you know, three conventions. The third convention I went to, I started getting work, indie work. That was about 1993. So between 93 and 99, I had gone from doing fill-in stuff at DC for, or doing indie comics. I was working for this company called Majestic Entertainment. Okay. And I got into the business making 175 bucks a page. By the end of 1995, I was down to making 50 bucks a page. So now that 175, <laughs> just pencils? Just pencils. For an indie publisher, for an indie publisher, that's amazing. But this is '93. This is like the t- the, the tail yes. end. Of that is the the, the tail the, end of the boom. The, yes, exactly. So, but that's amazing. My yeah. starting rate, my starting penciling rate at Marvel in '97 was 120. But you see how that would like set you up for a, like getting paid that much initially would yeah. set you up for a fall because yes. I had no realistic expectations as to what rates were yeah. or what rates were supposed to be. So, you know, so I end up you know working for other indies, and I was lucky if you know they were paying at all. Yeah, because a I wasn't as good as I thought I was. And B, I had an attitude. I real like I I I had it. I thought I was the shit, absolutely and completely. So the the, the ego it took a little while to you know to, to to massage the ego. But I was doing stuff. You know, I was doing stuff with Alex. I was doing a lot of stuff for a lot of indie publishers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd get my you know a fill in every once in a while for Marvel DC. But I I call ninety eight and ninety nine. Sort of my my almost year, okay. Where I was um, at the one point, I was almost the artist on Green Lantern. I was almost the artist on Justice League. I was almost the artist on a Creature Commandos miniseries, and it always came down to me versus one other person. And that other person was just a little at the time, especially just a little bit better. So you know, if I'm going up against Scott Eaton, who is already like pretty at the time pretty established at DC. For like for Green Lantern or Creature Commandos, right. Scott was definitely going to get the job because he he is still a fantastic talent, but he was uh, still much better than I was at the time, and you know had much more experience. And I can look back on it now and kind of see that, but at the time it was just a lot of me, you know, walking around my apartment down in the slope, going, "How can these guys get? What's wrong with me?" Yeah. So uh, it's hard to be self-reflective in those moments, it, right? It, it is, and, and you know, it was also like at the time, like I I had fallen in love with fallen in love with this girl who was you know engaged to somebody else. Oh. It was just it was it was just that's, it that's... was awful. It was you know I don't blame I don't blame her. No, no, but, but it puts you in a state of mind. Well, yeah, you know, it was one of these things where, like. We when we met, she was sort of on the fence about whether whether what her relationship status was going to be. And then while we were seeing each other, she went to visit him, and he popped the question. So, you know, and uh, something out of a movie. Yeah, exactly. I, a, you know, horrifying movie. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it at the time, especially. So part of my wanting to go out to L.A. was a, I had started writing. Okay. Again. Um, the writing had been something that I kind of put on the, the shelf to concentrate on becoming, you know, penciler. And I really needed to get out of New York. I just, I, I felt like New York was the cause of all of my troubles. If I just moved across country, everything would be better. Everything would be great and hunky dory. And you know what happened to me when I moved across country? 
I was miserable for a year and a half. I gained 50 pounds and my health went to crap. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was just, I spent $300 a month in long distance phone calls. This is days before awful. long distance. Yes, exactly. All inclusive. Exactly. Exactly. So, <laughs> so LA did not suit Jamal Eigel. LA did not suit me well. I, I met some great people while I was living out there, but ultimately I, I made the decision that it was too far away because most of the people that I knew and I loved were back in New York. Because you were born and raised in New York. Yes, absolutely. But it wasn't just that. I mean, I've, I've lived in other places, but especially at that time, I had you know, left behind a really um, good, close-knit group of friends. People who I still – I don't get to see them as much anymore, but I still consider them to be very, very close to me. So it was, that was very hard for me to do. But I, I needed that shift yeah. at the time. And I, I went. I did it. It sucked. I failed. I came back. <laughs> did, did you get, when you were out there, aside from things sucking, right. as, you, as you gained the, 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 the was it 20 pounds? 50. 50? 50. Well, as you gained the 50 pounds, did you, did you also gain uh, clarity? Did you lose some of the, the emotional sort of weight? Or did that just amplify? I, it amplified it, actually. Okay. Because... It's hard enough when you're living in New York and you work all the time and you don't get to see anybody. Yeah. It was even harder for me being in L.A., um, living in a, in a nice apartment, car, didn't know the city, yeah. didn't, barely knew, knew a few people out there, but not anybody that I was particularly close to didn't really have like a really close, close circle of friends. So that made it, and I'm, I'm a social creature. You are. (laughs) So that was very, very difficult. And then you pile on top of the fact that there was a in and out burger down the street. I could just drive a couple of blocks. There, there was a Jack in a box, you know, Del Taco, you know, for all, for all the acclaim LA gets for being where the beautiful people are. It's, it's a sea of donuts and burgers. It is, it is the fast food, (laughs) capital of the world i am convinced of this especially venice boulevard venice boulevard is just every two blocks there's a fast food restaurant it's it's amazing (laughs) i mean i go out there a couple times a year and it really is like in new york it's all dunkin donuts as far as i can see but there it's all independent shops. you gotta try every one not even just the independent donut shops but there's a lot of independent like chinese restaurants and thai places really good yeah like Like, there used to be this really good chinese restaurant like just off of olympic that i used to love going to and god i i love that place so much (laughs) I'm, I'm drooling thinking about it now. It's, it's it still long, there? It's, no, it's oh, okay. gone. It's long gone. I mean, right. we've we've gone way off course <laughs> talking about food. Come on. Um, so we were we were getting your sort of right. So that's that's the before you got back into the, into right, the mix right, of comics. Right, right. Um, and then so you got the job in '99. Mm-hmm. Started working more steadily. Right. Did you just up and move back? No, I actually, that's, that was part of it is I actually ended up staying in Los Angeles for another year. Okay. So, you know, the entire year that I was working for Marvel, I was living in LA. Hmm. Um, I should have came back, but my stubbornness kept me, honestly kept me from coming back because that was the first time in a very long time that I'd been living on, like completely on my own without any, you know, any close ties. And at the time I was, 
27, 28, something like that. So, yeah, so it was, it was definitely, like, me trying to prove something to myself, stupidly. <laughs> so you're saying you didn't prove it? No, no, I didn't prove it. I, I proved that, left to my own devices, that I could become a manatee. That's what I proved. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I proved. Uh, Everything it, else that, that I did, I could have just as easily did in New York. As as somebody from Florida, just the, the image of a manatee it just made me very sad. Oh. I'm glad you came out of that. <laughs> There's no reason. Well, manatees you... are cuddly. I like manatees. Yeah, but they're real dumb. They just float. <laughs> <laughs> they're like just floating on the water, waiting for a boat to take them out. Not a smart animal, the manatee. <laughs> Not by a long shot. Um. Oh, another bit of trivia, just because I looked okay. down at my notes. The uh, Namorita costume. In New Warriors? Yes. I designed that costume. You did? I did. Oh, that's your fault. Okay, yeah. I, bl- I blame you then. Yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing, like, okay, there's nothing wrong with it, but I, oh, didn't, it, I, I didn't understand the netting on the arms. Yeah. I, I didn't the, get the, that. The netting on the arms, in my mind, was a, a representation of aquatic stuff, like right. fishnets and that sort of thing. That's right. all it really was. Oh, okay. Mostly... When I designed it, I was mostly sort of cool on the fact I like that she had capri pants on. <laughs> that was like my, and that was a white costume. I thought that was cool, but yeah, they went with it. Yeah, well, it was. <laughs> but yeah, I know it got it. It there were certain people that hated it. Uh, um, but Bobby and Smitty liked it enough yeah. that they made Steve Scott draw it that way and <laughs> off to the races. Yeah, I. Did a lot of doodling up at the office. Oh, there's there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, not at all. So then you're on your way. Right. 1999 on. You're, Nin- you're... 99, let's say 2000, 2001. End of 2000, I was still kind of doing comics, but I was trying to get back into doing animation. Oh, really? That was a, a steady, you know, in was my head, that was a steadier better, paycheck. Yeah. But the bottom fell out of domestic animation. Yeah, so there were. I remember going to the the cartoonist union uh, Christmas party that year, and just wandering around, listening to all these stories from all of these guys who had been working for Disney for like twenty five plus years. Going, yeah, well, you know, I'm painting houses now. You know, I'm, ever since they laid me off, I'm just like, are you? Wow. Oh my god, yeah. you know. And um, up until that point, I had been talking to uh, Sean McLaughlin over at Warner Brothers about coming on. This is like right before they started working on Justice League. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to him about coming on and doing storyboards on Justice League. But when the bottom fell out, all the guys who had gone on to work for other studios all came back to Warner Brothers. So there was no longer a spot for me. Mm -hmm. And then I think the, the thing, the capper really was, I wasn't able to fly home that year. For Christmas, mm-hmm. and I was just like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I got to get out of here. So I, I moved back to New York. Um, I actually started driving back to New York and ended up on a Greyhound bus because I totaled my car. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I uh, I was I got caught in a sudden snowstorm driving through northern New Mexico, and I was caught, caught in a blizzard. Wow. And I uh, I totaled my car, and uh, ended up having to be on a Greyhound bus for three days. Oh. God, I had sounds... all of my worldly possessions in that car at the time, and <laughs> but I walked away without a scratch, 
There's and, the sunny side. Yeah, and so I, I grabbed six bags of whatever I could carry, and I got on a bus, and I just came back to New York. And um, when I got back to New York, I had a friend of mine who was leaving her job as a receptionist. I ended up working up as a re- working as a receptionist for three months when I first got back to New York. But while I was work- doing reception work, I was going up to Marvel and to DC, you know, showing new samples yeah. around. And within three months, I was working again. I was doing yeah you the know, chops. I guess. No, you did. You look. You had the chops when I saw the pages in '99. Thank you. You didn't lose the chops over the next two years. If anything, you get better over time. Yeah. If you're working. Yeah. No. I well, the, I think the thing that that helped me at the time, especially when you know, as 2001, was I set a goal. I set two goals for myself. One goal was that I was going to pick one artist and I was going to emulate my career after theirs. So I picked Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Nice choice. Because um, the idea, and still is for me, is it's not about you know being you know famous because comic book fame is fleeting, yeah. extremely fleeting, and doesn't matter once you walk out your front door. It, it only matters in you know comic book conventions yeah. and occasionally and somebody recognizes you in a, in a shop or something. But the other thing is, is I want to be in the the position that he is in right now where he's still in demand yeah and constantly in demand so i want i still want that for myself and then the other thing that i did was i put myself in a position where i made myself indispensable i took whatever job that that came i I, it was easier for me to do this because I was single at the time, but I would work seven days a week for three weeks straight to finish an issue, and then I would rest for a week and then start the next job. Hmm. So I wouldn't leave my house. You know, I you know was you know ordering food and you know or grabbing groceries and stocking up, and then just sequestering myself in the house and just boom, just working through. So if anything, the, the that year or so, that year and a half or two years in L.A. was, was like your humbling years. Yes, exactly. And yeah. you came back with a completely new approach and vision to what you were, what you were going for. Well, I, I think that was I, – I think it definitely got me out of the idea that I wanted to be in the wizard top ten. <laughs> you know, I think it, it definitely got me out of the idea that, uh, that my ultimate goal – was to be, you know, a superstar. Sure. Because I've seen superstars come and go in this business for the last almost 20 years. Yeah, I was just talking to guys that worked in a comic store in right. their 20s. Right. Did not know who Joe Mad was, which <laughs> stunned me. Because when it comes to superstars, now, he was right. maybe the last great superstar. Right. And now he's coming back. But I don't or, think it's. I yeah. don't think it's going to be. You know, it won't. The, it can't the same, be the same re- reception that it's he had before. Different world right now. This is this is true. But and, and it's not. It has nothing to do with his talent because he's obviously a very talented artist. Of course. He was a talented artist when I knew him in high school. Oh yeah, we went to high school together. So yeah, he was. A, he was. I think a year or two behind me. So he school. was the wonderkind. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, he you know walked into Marvel yeah. you know, as an intern and started getting work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, enough about him. We're right. talking about okay, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those were the two things. I mean, those, those were honestly like 
my 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 goal. And was that all stuff that you came to on your own, or was there a mentor figure, somebody who sort of brought you down in some capacity? No, no, that was all. That was just me really thinking about where I wanted That's to awesome. go. Um, what I really wanted ultimately out of my life and out of my career and, you know, thinking, being forward thinking instead of reactionary. Yeah. Um, I like plans. I like knowing what I'm doing. Sure. I, if I knew what I was doing a year or two in advance, I'd be like, awesome. <laughs> let's, let's roll. Yeah. Because I could, you know, even now, like I know what I'm doing at least until the end of this year, which is a good position to be in. It's not a great position to be in because I would, you know, there's just that, that part of my brain that would like to know, okay, what happens after that? Right. Because come November, you're going to start right. thinking. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or even early, knowing me even earlier. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> November. So you're more actively. Right. 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 Thinking. Yeah. It'll be more top of mind. Yeah. yeah. In addition to the holidays and everything else, exactly. which is the worst time to have to think about it. This, this is true. This yeah. is, this is true. And, <laughs> And it's one of the things that annoys my wife about me to no end because because I am, you know, once I start thinking about work, that that part of my brain is just there, and I'm distracted by that completely. <laughs> but she has to like you know snap her fingers and bring me out of it. Right, <laughs> right, right. Now you're actually not the first artist I've heard have that sort of measure my career on the career of somebody else. Uh, mine is Jules Pfeiffer. Right. Because just the, the, the breadth of what he's been able to do of course. is of course. staggering. And then when I was at Marvel, I was working on Avengers Forever with Carlos Pacheco. Mm -hmm. And I remember him telling me that his guy was Sal Buscema. I can see that. And I was like, that is such a sort of humbled, like reasoned response to a thing. It's like, be a guy that will work Forever. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, you know, respected and acknowledged as a, as a talented guy, you know, maybe never hit the peaks that John did, but Sal is still right. doing stuff. Right. And he's, you know, he was inking Ron Garney on the Hulk when oh, yeah. I was there and it looked stunning. It was and, great. you know, he was working right up until his retirement. And, and he still does stuff exactly. every now and again. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, there are still guys that want that soup, the, the brass ring of superstardom even though the wizard top 10 list doesn't exist. <laughs> and then there's the more, you know, career minded, you know, long-term. Well, you know, the idea of superstardom, I think, you know, massages the ego. Yes. But once you take ego out of the equation, honestly, I mean, what's left, you know, you're, you're concerned about, you know, being, you know, at conventions or what is your concern? Are you concerned about being a, a guest at conventions or are you more concerned about, you know, 20 years from now, yeah. you know, what your position in the industry is going to be. I don't want to be one of those guys who's forced out. Right. You know, I want to be, I, if I leave, I want it to be on my terms. To that end, there's another track that seems to exist in comics, and, and to a certain degree it makes a bit of sense, which is you do your time mm -hmm. for the big guys, and then you break out right. and do your own thing. Um you know, it's what Robert Kirkman was sort of rallying for a couple of years back. And he made some logical sense there. Right. You yourself had a foray into the creator role in the world with Venture, mm -hmm. uh, with Jay. Right. Four issues as part of Image's big superhero launch. Right. 
but I get the impression, and I and I read it recently, just to sort of freshen up, right. that it didn't quite go. And I don't want to speak ill of anything, or, or but I'm more speaking to your experience. Right. I got the impression that things just didn't go the way you had hoped. No, it didn't go anywhere close. I and 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 if you speak to Jay about it, he'll say the same thing. I at the time, especially imagined venture as you know our nexus, you okay. know, as our you know long running independent like what robert did yeah. with invincible um i'll tell you the one thing you know i'm i'm very happy for robert's success it would be very difficult for me right now to take those the same steps that he suggested in his video right um just because i am not in the financial position to put in the the year that I've calculated that it would take to get a book off the ground. Yeah. An independent book, you would, you would need to be able to operate in the red for at least a year while you're building that initial audience. And it takes time to build an audience. With, and resources because you're and, touring and doing. Exactly, exactly. So I just, I, would, I have ideas for other creator-owned projects. I just, I don't have the money and I don't have the resources for it. If I had a publisher who, you know, after my DC exclusive is up, if I had a publisher that I could take one of the projects to and say, hey, listen, I've got this idea for this great series, you know, and they were able to give me some kind of, give me an advance against sales, you know, it, it would be something that I would want to explore. But the, you know, venture broke my heart. Right. In terms of doing uh, creator own, we had a, a full color superhero comic that we were trying to. I don't know if, if compete with anything that Marvel and DC was doing at the time, but it was expensive <laughs> for us to do. Um, I still owe people money. Right from that, not a lot, but at at some point I will I will pay them back. Yeah, as soon as I can figure out how to do it, um, it it, it just became as much as I wanted to keep it going, and there was a much larger story that we never got to. Yeah, and uh, for the last nine years, you know, Jay and I, every time we do talk, it's like. Yeah, we got to do something. We got to we got to do something right. with venture. We got to you know bring it back somehow. And I get a, you know I get a little you know little tear in my eye when, whenever somebody brings a copy of it to me right. at a convention because that'll always be sort of the th you know the thing that I I put the most not the most work into, but that was sort of my my first big experience of building a character up from the ground up and yeah. really just putting more of myself at the time into a project than I had, had done previously. Well, there's an emotional investment that of can't course. be, you can't put a number on something like of that. Of course, of and course. If, and if it doesn't go, if it doesn't take off or it doesn't get received the way you would hope, that's going to take its toll. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we would, would see the numbers come in and for a full color monthly, we started at ten thousand, right? And just saw the sales just dwindle with each issue. Yeah, 
and we were getting no support from Image at the time at all. They they promoted the first you know issues and then moved on to Manga Month, and there was like no advertising support or or anything. And at the time, like I really didn't take advantage of my experience as far as you know doing marketing and working in advertising in the past more i'm much better at it now i you know much better at arranging my own interviews and and what have you and doing my own self-promotion now than i was then i think part of it was i didn't think that that was my responsibility i thought that was the publisher's responsibility and in some cases it is it it is but but at the same time you really can't leave all of that to a publisher no matter how long or how big the publisher is because ultimately you have to promote yourself so now, the the last question on venture. Okay. And this actually goes more to you as an artist and the sort of things you like to draw. So mm-hmm. In the last issue of venture, right? You didn't draw the pages, right? Um, you drew, but it was it was almost like done as a framing sequence mm-hmm. where the action set pieces were drawn by somebody else, right. and you drew the sort of interview, yeah. quiet sequences. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason why you ended up doing those pages and not the action pages? Was that your choice, or was it just a matter of timing? It, no, it was ultimately my choice only because at the time I wasn't going to do it at all. Okay. I really had gotten burned out on it. But I prefer characterization. I prefer, you know, I I love the superhero stuff and I love doing the, the you know, Big Bang stuff and, mm-hmm. you, know, guy, you know, guys in spandex kicking the shit out of each other. Yeah. But as a writer myself, the characters drive the plot. So I love working. I, I just didn't want to give up that scene. Okay. I didn't want to give up that scene, that, that interview scene, because I loved shaping that character, the, 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 the villain. Yeah. I don't even think he actually had a name. But, you know, I, had, I wanted him to be this little... You know, very little guy, very much in the vein of Doctor Savannah. Yeah. Have him sitting on a tel- basically sitting on a telephone book while he's being interviewed. You know, yeah. in shackles. You know, while he's being interviewed by Reggie, and I just thought that that was such a great opportunity to show what I could do character-wise, okay, without any action. And Jim Valentino was nice enough because he really did love the series and really was hoping that it would do better and was nice enough to volunteer to do the action stuff. So I was just like, okay, you know, let Jim do it and I'll do the, the quiet, I'll do the, the interview scene. Clearly you, you have a, a, a passion and affinity for the acting part, A, because you yourself have a, a background in acting, right. which hopefully we'll get to talk about a little okay. bit. But <laughs> also I think it's very clear in your work that Kevin McGuire's work oh, yeah. is a strong influence. Just Kevin in- McGuire, Dave Stevens, Steve Rue, Brian Bollin. I mean, all those. Like, you can name any of any guys with like a, a a semi-realistic or natural style who do great emotive faces or great body language. And those are the guys that, you know, uh, Sandy Plunkett's another one. Those are the guys that I was always drawn to when I was reading comics. Who Chris Warner. Was also another and you can see it in like the that. work. I yeah. mean, there are some mouths I've seen you draw that 
not to say they're Kevin Maguire males, but they are. They're, <laughs> they, you know. well, they're, I mean, you know, Kevin, and I would say to even say the same thing when uh, Adam came on Justice League. Yeah. Justice League, when Kevin was drawing the book, was one of my favorite books. I'm still a fan. I still love looking at Kevin's stuff. Kevin yeah. is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he was brilliant, he was brilliant back then. He's, he's even better now. Right. And yeah, the the metal men stuff is real. <laughs> the, the metal men stuff metal is great. Uh, one of my favorite things of his, all time favorites, will always be the adventures of Captain America: Sentinel of Liberty. Yeah, that was just Gorgeous. such beautiful yeah. work. And I was, I was nineteen when that stuff came out, and yeah, it was knocking me. I out. just, oh, it just not every issue just knocked you on your ass, and you, I was just blown away so when he was doing justice league it was the same thing like this was nascent kevin mcguire like he right. wasn't even this is monthly kevin yeah McGuire. this is monthly <laughs> <laughs> but i mean he's still working monthly you know but that <laughs> captain america book there's no way no, that like, was no absolutely not absolutely yeah. not and then i remember there was a uh, a poster that they turned into a t-shirt the uh, promo like one sheet that okay. he did where uh cap is like He's posing with his hand pointed forward, and he's looking at the sky. He's got shield, and it's like this mon- very like Drew Struzan montage around it. Okay. And it's just, I remember seeing that and being absolutely in love with that piece. And I'm like, oh, and then he was doing Rob the Robin covers yeah. at the time, and just this is, you know, I was a huge fan of his. I was a huge fan of Dave Stevens. I love the Rocketeer. Like I, I found everything of his that I could find because. Like his output was, you know, barely there. Yeah. But you know, whatever was there, I managed to grab. Same thing. I read Nexus constantly. I read Nexus on a regular basis. Um, same thing. With Jerry Ordway. I love Jerry Ordway. Love Jerry Ordway on Infinity Incorporated. Love you know, Fantastic Four. Same thing. Justice Society. Same right. thing. When he did the uh, the Batman movie adaptation, like I had never seen an adaptation look that good, yeah. it was like it was absolutely amazing. And then I started getting going backwards actually to guys like Mac Rayboy and Al Williamson and Alex Raymond, and just looking at, at all these golden the golden age artists, and just that was that was always the stuff that always drew my eye. Like I. Billy Tucci, when I worked for him, used to make fun of me because whenever everybody would start talking about who their favorite artist was, other guys were talking about, like, you know, Posada and Jim Lee and all these guys, and I was talking about, yeah, you know, I, I got these, you know, the old Star Wars strips that Al Williamson did. And... Right. <laughs> yeah, real classic-looking <laughs> yeah, exactly, stuff. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's classic for a reason. Yeah, this is true. This is true. So do you consider yourself... What do you when when people ask you what you do? Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you, do you say? You're an artist, a cartoonist, an illustrator. I'm a I'm a cartoonist first, and then I'm an illustrator. Okay. So I consider I consider myself a cartoonist first. Okay, and just because I my definition of cartoonist tends to be somebody who who writes with pictures. Mm-hmm. So is that about your same definition? Or are you um? How are you gauging? Well, for me, being a cartoonist is definitely that. Being a cartoonist, like. Being a cartoonist to me is someone who is fluid, like someone who has has a, a fluid style, whether it's in the illustration itself or whether it's in the storytelling that they use. 
whether it's, you know, if you're doing like a naturalistic style, if you put a lot of squash and stretch into it, mm -hmm. the same thing. There's like really cartoony guys that I love too. You know, I like, I can't do cartoony that well. Right. Because that's not where, for some reason, as much as I love it, that's not where my brain goes first. My brain goes <laughs> to naturalistic. You know, naturalistic goes to, you know, I start thinking about structure and anatomy and, right. you know, you know, does that bicep look right? You know, does it? Yeah. You know, but I'm not trying to do photo reels, so that's why I consider myself a cartoonist. Because if you look at a lot of my stuff, I throw a lot as much squash and stretch as you can throw into that kind of uh, a more naturalistic. You're not you're style. not photo referencing the exactly, whole thing. exactly. I'm the, or I'm not intentionally. Or if I am looking at photo reference, then I'm not co I'm not tracing it. I'm not trying to copy it exactly. I'm just trying to get. The energy from it, or the look, the look for it from it, and reinterpret it in my in my style. Okay, that's as, as good a definition as any. <laughs> no, just because you know, there's different levels of, of right. what people are doing. There are some right. guys who are beautiful illustrators and draw comics, but mm -hmm. I don't. I look at their work and they don't seem like cartoonists. They seem like artists that are drawing comics. Right, right. And then there are guys that are so high on the mark of cartoonists, like a Kyle Baker. Oh yeah, who's oh, just yeah. like. I mean, his website is the the greatest cartoonist in the world, and but it's the hard thing, to argue. But the thing about Kyle Baker is, if you go back into Kyle Baker's work, you can see that you know Kyle Baker used to draw realistically all the time. Like when he was when he was doing stuff in Marvel back in the eighties. Like, no, he's he, certainly capable. Yeah. But you could tell, like, when he hit his stride. Oh, absolutely. Whether it was the Shadow or the Dick Tracy adaptation. The Dick Tracy stuff. I think he really started to hit his stride when he did uh, Why I Hate Saturn. I think that Which was is, that was a point where yeah. I think you started to really see Kyle Baker. That's that's my official. Oh, you don't read comics? Read this. <laughs> is, is, it's that book more than anything it's, else. I, it's either that that or I'll if if I really want to show somebody a good example of his stuff, I'll show them. Um, you are here, which is also really it is good. great. Yeah, but I'm saying like not just Kyle Baker something in all of comics. If you've never read a comic book, I'm giving you one. That, that, that is a good example. Though. That's because really it's. <laughs> I mean, it's and we're talking about you. Okay, okay. I'm sorry, but I love no. talking. Yeah, I no, love I know. Talking about this. Yeah, no, I could go on digressions. I mean, I've stopped myself a few times <laughs> going off in different directions. I'll save those for all off right. mic. Okay. So one of the things we talked about at Free Comic Book Day, we were both down in, in Greensboro for right. Free Comic Book Day, just on the, on the notion of style and, and how we draw and what we do. Right. At the time we were down there, we were just sort of asking, you know, getting a sense of where your career was, where you were going, and right. you just finished Supergirl and you were doing Zatanna. Right. And you were talking about feeling typecast. Right. As, as I guess, what they would call a good girl artist. Right. Mm. I want to talk about that a little bit okay. and, and that feeling of being good at what you do, being somebody that people want to hire, obviously, because right. you're competent and you could keep it, you could keep a schedule and all the things that you're supposed to be able to do. Right, right. Um, but at a certain point, you're getting jobs that you don't dislike, but it's not the dream gig or the style right. of thing you'd want to be working right, on. Right, In right. Your, whatever your philosophy of comics might be, mm -hmm. maybe these particular projects don't fit. So, what is, do you have a philosophy of comics that you would want to, you know, in a dream world, the types of comics you would want to do character, you know, not to say what character would you want to draw? No, no, but, no. But I, I understand what you're saying. Um, I don't know if I necessarily have a philosophy. Okay. I, I, because for me, it's always about the story, like story trumps all. And if the story is good enough, if it's something that I'm interested in, then that's what I'm going to gravitate towards first. 
So, I mean, like with Supergirl, when they approached me about doing Supergirl, it wasn't necessarily something that automatically jumped out of my head. I mean, as much as I love the Superman characters and I love the Superman universe, I never imagined myself like being the regular Supergirl artist, even though I had drawn like, an issue of the book before and I'd drawn her in various appearances over the years in, uh, in other books. It, it wasn't necessarily the thing that I was jumping up and down to do. But when I read Sterling's first script, I was like, wow, this is really good. Oh, my God, I have to do this. Okay. And that's why I ended up being on the book for as long as I did, because I enjoyed working with Sterling, and I enjoyed what we were doing. And we were doing – we got the opportunity to do some really great emotionally evocative stories over the course of our life. And we had fun, too. You know, and it, it was a good time. You know, as many headaches – as you have working on a massive crossover like that, we we managed to pull. I think we managed to pull a really great run out. I, I I like to, you know, in spite of all the the faux controversy and you know with the, with the shorts. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great. It's a perfect way to put it. Uh, faux controversy. It, it is. It, it's you know. It's it, it was a slow news day. Yeah. That just went terribly, horribly wrong. So, um, in in spite of that, like everybody that read the book loved what we were doing, and we're, you know, the Supergirl fan base. It's like the Legion fan base. These guys are hardcore, and they love everything about Supergirl. And if they don't like what you're doing, they will tell you. They, they 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 will they will in no uncertain terms they will tell you. So we ended up being really embraced by the Supergirl fans, and that 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 really that meant a lot to me. Actually, that people were really digging what we were doing because we were we were working our asses off on this book. We you know I I can't even begin to tell you how many sixteen hour you know you know five to six day stretches. That I had, you know, especially when we were doing, you know, Codename Patriot and then getting into War of the Superman and all that stuff. There was just there was so much work going on <laughs> and so many pages flying or scripts and artwork and stuff that was trying that didn't completely line up. And then you would get into cases where, like when we were doing Supergirl 36, I was actually working faster than Pete Woods. And I don't blame him because he had a ton of stuff to do with action, like with the action stories. So by the time I had gotten, I think, like the first five pages drawn, he was just finishing up the issue that ties in where uh, Reactron shoots Zorel through the, through the chest. So in action, he shoots Zorel through the chest. It's Supergirl 36. He's standing behind him. For no no explanation other than I was already done. Yeah. <laughs> I'd already moved like I was already moving forward to to the next scene because that's what I had yeah, to yeah. work with at the time. Well, that's editorial's job. Though. Yeah, but you know, again, at the same time, when you're having the experience that I have, I had wished at least that we had a day or two more where I could sort of just put that, or I could have gone back and changed it, but you just don't have yeah. that time sometimes. 
it's monthly comics. Yeah, this the is true. Lines are there. This is true. You this know. is very, very true. You're not supposed to miss them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. I mean, speaking speaking of Al Williamson, the it one is. time I got to work with him as an assistant editor, he he was that was his mantra. Yeah, like, the deadline is the thing. You never miss a deadline. No, he's absolutely and, right. I'll tell that to a lot of other people. <laughs> I I don't concern myself with other people. Exactly. I I, I I concern myself with my with my work and my own deadlines, and I have not missed a deadline in ten years. Then so. don't tell it to anybody else. Okay. We'll keep it between <laughs> us. You you keep your head to the the boards. You do your work, mm-hmm. but you've also, as you mentioned earlier, are a very social creature. Right. And that is manifest. Now with with social media in a way that's pretty <laughs> remarkable. I yeah. mean, you are no shrinking violet. No, no, no on, on the internet. And I, I have a very different sort of take on it, which is, I will. I mean, the fact that I'm doing this this show at all right. is a complete turnaround. Right. I tend to be of what I do is nobody's business, and you'll see me at a convention if I go to a convention. That's all you get to know. Right, right, right. Um, and from what I've seen just whether it's on Facebook or people reporting, like you, you appear in reports on, on, you know, <laughs> websites and stuff. You, you have, you're not afraid. No. To just say whatever it is you're I, thinking. I, I do edit myself because if I were to say exactly what I was thinking at the time that I was <laughs> thinking it, they, I would, I wouldn't just be, you know, have my tweets reposted on MTV geek. They'd be, you know, constant fodder for bleeding cool. So, yeah. um, but at the same time, I'm an opinionated guy, you know, I like talking about a lot of different things. I like talking about politics. I like talking about movies. I love talking about comics. You know, I don't watch that much television anymore, but the television that I do watch, I like to get into it. I like talking about art and I like talking about technique and I like looking at other people's work and I like communicating with the fans. I don't get the opportunity to do it i mean it seems like i'm doing it a lot but i you know i don't do it as much as i may have did it maybe five years ago like five years ago i was really just sort of all over the place now it's harder because i just don't have the time during the day to spend like the three hours you know at a clip that i would you know posting stuff on newsarama when they had their messages back in the day does that come from your your sort of earlier experiences as a performer, as an actor, just being that open and that sort of available, or are you just sort of bred to be that open and available? Well, I don't know if I was bred to be that open and available. I think that, you know, I mean, as a kid, I was very shy. Okay. But I was very shy with the mouth of a sailor and very opinionated. But I was one of those kids where, you know, I wouldn't say any say anything in front of somebody, but I'd mutter something under their under their breath. Right. You know, or call, you know, somebody an asshole or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. But I was also I mean, at the time, I mean, you you anybody who's met me will never believe this, even if I I have pictures, I will show it to you. When I was fourteen years old, I was four feet eleven and hundred and twenty five pounds. A little guy. Yeah, I was a little. I was a little guy, and I went from a little guy to a big guy over the course of four years. I I, I grew like nine inches over four years, and you know, I started playing football, and you know, 
You were uh, bounce. You were bouncing. I was. I was bouncing. I was. Yeah. I was. I was a bouncer. You can't, you can't be a little guy if you're no, a bouncer. No. 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 But you know, <laughs> bouncing actually caused me to walk the path of peace because I hit a guy over the head with a velvet rope partition during a <laughs> fight and said, "Okay, I'm done. I can't. I can't do this anymore." I'm not. You know, because I'm not a violent person yeah, right. by by nature. And in order, if, if in order to be a bouncer, you kind of have to embrace that idea. You yeah. Know, you have to. You know, a violence. So, being shy when I was younger really sort of hampered me in a lot. It, it hampered me in a lot of ways because I, because when you don't put yourself out there, especially if you're, you know, trying to be like I would, I would try out for auditions and stuff, and I'd be fine with auditions, but I wouldn't talk on set. Yeah, you know, I I'd read my sides and I'd be done and I'd leave like right after the shoot was done or what right after the show was over. I wouldn't hang out with like the cast or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? um, I think a lot of that really came from my home situation at the time, which wasn't the greatest. Uh, and I was using my you know performing and you know my my artistic side as sort of my my outlets and sort of hiding from what was going on at home. So I think that it probably is an an offshoot, but I think a lot of it really comes from the fact that I'm just a colossal nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, I still, you know, I still, there's a lot of guys, like, who I communicate with either on Twitter or Facebook or whatever who I used to talk to in the old Marvel AOL chat. Like I would be on the Marvel AOL chat for like six hours at a clip, you know, back in the the nineties. Yeah, I, I never did that. Usenet though. I was I was wasn't a Usenet guy. But. Yeah, I never did that. We used to have an assistant editor chat on the AOL yeah. on the Marvel AOL chat, and that was the only. <laughs> again, I would steer clear. Like right. there was, and, and you know, I'm sort of interested as to what, how you broke from being the shy, the guy that wouldn't hang out with the with the cast and crew to the guy that. Is going to conventions. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining if you're at a convention by yourself, you don't just go to your hotel room afterwards. You probably go to the bar. You're hanging out. No, I'll, I'll go to the bar and I'll hang out. But then most times when I'm by myself, even when I'm by myself, it's very rare that I'm out past midnight just because I'm getting old as fuck. But but, but, you, uh, <laughs> but you're, you're still you're socializing. Right. You're not, no, you're not see, the no, kid you were. No, no, no. Absolutely not. And I think, honestly, a lot of that was just – it took time. It, it really – you know, it, I met people when I was a little bit older, when I was about 18 or 19. I was, you know, again, I was, you know, living in this two-bedroom apartment with five other guys, and you're forced to deal with other personalities. You're forced to be social. So these guys dragging me out of the house and, you know, putting me in, like, I had this friend of mine, Masaba, who was – you know, very gay, very flamboyant, drug, drug me down to the Pride Parade and made me march in the Got Pride it. Parade. <laughs> trial by fire. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. And then within a year, I was waking up on strange women's floors. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, but I was drinking a lot more. I, right. I, I, I used to have this T-shirt that said moderations for monks. <laughs> So it was sort. It was definitely sort of like you know thrown into the deep end, socializing, and that 
really got me sort of out of the idea that I had to be, you know, this sort of singular person, mm-hmm. you know, that, that there were, that I didn't have to be afraid ultimately of being around other people or connecting with other people. Cause that was a big thing for me also is I had a, a, a lot of trouble connecting with other people in, on an emotional level mm-hmm. because I had spent, you know, most of my life just being hurt constantly. So now I want to preface this by saying that when I'm at a convention and I think it's the kind of the same thing with a lot of people, you're sort of on when yeah. you're at a convention. Absolutely. So you're, you're not, I'm not an, I'm still basically the same person, but when I'm outside of that convention experience, like even after, like after a show and we're all at dinner, it's a completely different, I, you know, call, I'm, I calm, I try to center myself, I try, you know, I, you know, just want to relax and just, you know, conversate with the people that I'm hanging out with and and have fun. When I'm at home, you know, I'm very quiet. You know, I, you know, my wife and I, we, we talk, you know, yeah. we talk a lot, actually. We, you know, that's the great thing about Corinne is there's no end of conversation with her. It, it really is awesome. We, and she's an artist also. Yeah, she's a graphic Does she designer. she also work out of, out of the house? No, or? no. She okay. she actually doesn't. She works. Yeah, she does graphic design for a company that does photo retouching for the fashion industry. Got it. But she actually used to do comics in, uh, when she lived in France. She used to do mini, uh, mini comics, and she, huh. she and her friends would set up an Angoulême every year and, you know. European comics, uh, yeah. where they count. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, <laughs> so, I mean, that, that was, the funny thing about it, that wasn't the thing that got us together. Uh, that was, because she didn't tell me that she was into comics until, like, our first date. Like, we'd been talking for, like, a couple of weeks beforehand, and she never once mentioned being into comics or knowing really knowing anything about comics. So the when I went to pick her up for our, our first official date, I'm standing by the front door and it's you know our apartment now we have this this uh bookcase right by the front door and I'm just sort of looking at the front door and I see all of these hardcovers and trades like Kevin Smith, Daredevil, Gru, Hellboy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? You read I'm like you read comic books? It's like, yeah, I read comic books. You want to see the stuff in the back? And she has, you know, we have this uh two bookcases in the in the back bedroom, which is now my daughter's room, which is just all European albums, like entire runs wow. of Tauntaun and Thorgal and uh what else is what else is Asterisk. Yeah, of course, as, Asterisk. Just a ton of uh, stuff that I haven't even had the chance to really look at. Just yeah. a, a ton of stuff. So whenever we go back to France to, to visit the family, um, we didn't so much this time, but like the past couple, the past few trips, we'd always come back with like a you know a, an extra bag just filled with albums, like new stuff that we were buying and checking. That's what's out. next, Jamal. Yeah. Like that's your next step is you're going to France, <laughs> and you're going to be the Garcia Lopez uh, of, of the French countryside. <laughs> Uh, that uh, you know, it'd be nice. It'd, it'd yeah. be nice. I I I love France personally, and you know, I think the only thing that keeps us from moving back there is that you know, Corinne's been living in the United States for like almost fourteen years, and she would have to start all over again from scratch. Right. So, 
All right. We'll keep you. Okay. We like <laughs> having you around. I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> now, unfortunately, I'm looking at the clock, and I know you have to be somewhere, yeah. so I don't want to keep you too long. All right. And I want to say some stuff off mic. So, um, thanks, Jamal. Oh, my pleasure. Man. Your time, your openness. Oh, hey, listen, anything you want to talk about? You just made an offer. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. There you go. Another Stuff Said Show in the bank. Speaking of Stuff Said Show, that's the website. StuffSaidShow.com Go there for show notes uh, Bonus visual accompaniment You can email me StuffSaid at gmail.com You can subscribe at iTunes I encourage that You'll never miss an episode Uh, Leave a review at iTunes Whether it's just clicking the little 5 star jammy Or actually uh, writing a little blip And I think that'll do it I think that's everything that needs to be said on this episode of Stuff Said. See you next time.